Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to another edition of Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq Alamin. We are broadcasting live at WCEV 1450 AM, and we are reaching the world as we stream at www.wcev1450.com. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central from the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois. And I believe there is a slight dusting of snow uh, that is covering the city streets right now. At least I think I saw some floating down past this seven-floor window. If you haven't already done so, Radio Islam family, take a moment and stop by Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and you will find us all at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. Like our page, follow us, send us a message, let us know that you're there, that you're listening. Uh, Let us know what you think about what you hear. We'd love to hear from you. If during the course of tonight's program you'd like to uh, interject a comment or a question, feel free to do so by calling 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. So welcome to another week. Uh, We pray that you are meeting this Monday or closing out this Monday uh, in the best of spirit, the best of health, uh, the best of faith, uh, which we call Iman, and that uh, it's been a productive day for you. Uh, There's a lot, as always, that is going on. And unfortunately, we've only got an hour, so we're not going to be able to talk about everything, but we do want to make sure that what we talk about matters uh, and that it that you walk away from this hour feeling like you got something. So that's our goal, and inshallah, with God's permission, we we will be successful with that. So yesterday, December 10th, uh, it marked the 69th year of International Human Rights Day. So uh, Human Rights Day is the day in 1948 that the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, although this declaration, uh, it's got a broad range of political, civil, economic, social, and cultural rights, uh, it's not a binding document. But it has inspired more than 60 human rights instruments, which together constitute an international standard of human rights, which is extremely important in a unified effort and strategy to make sure that oppression is not, uh, is not something that is normalized, but that uh, it is something that is fought against. So today, the general consent of all United Nations member states on the basic human rights laid down in the Declaration, it makes it even stronger, and it emphasizes the relevance of human rights in our daily lives. So in a statement that was made back in 2006, um, by the former um, High Commissioner. Um, At that point, uh, the comment was, says, Today, poverty prevails as the gravest human rights challenge in the world. Combating poverty, deprivation, and exclusion is not a matter of charity, and it does not depend on how rich a country is. By tackling poverty as a matter of human rights obligation, the world will have a better chance of abolishing this scourge in our lifetime. So poverty eradication... Uh, is an achievable goal. And this is the former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, uh, Louise Arbor. 
and that's from uh, December 2006. Now, we are going to add on to that because if you've been watching the news, if you've been paying attention, there's a situation that's been going on, but it is uh, it is starting to come to the forefront. CNN just did a piece on it. Um, I believe I saw it in uh, at least three, three different publications um, within the past uh, within the past couple of days. Uh, and that is the open air slave markets where African migrants are being sold into slavery uh, out in the open in Libya. So we add this, we add this as a scourge uh, that we have to deal with as an international community. And we're going to take some time to talk with uh, some, some folks who can give us some insight on how we should respond to this uh, and, to, and to give us some context on this. Uh, and our first caller, our first guest is going to be the esteemed uh, Professor Dr. Amina uh, Aldine. Uh, you all may know her as uh, uh, Dr. Amina McLeod, who is uh, an Islamic scholar, a professor of religious studies, uh, former director of Islamic World Studies program, I uh, believe the founder, uh, at DePaul University. Uh, she's written extensively, uh, and I'm not going to waste uh, a lot of time because her, her actually her bio is, is quite lengthy, uh, and deservedly so. Uh, but I want to say assalamu alaikum to her. Do we have alaikum salam. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, if we just kind of jump right in, this is a, a huge a huge challenge that has kind of come to the surface now, but it's been, it's, this is not new. Um, where, where do you want to start at on this? You know, this, uh, this latest iteration has so upset me, uh, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. But I do kind of want to commingle uh, what's happening in Martania, yes. which is the last slave stronghold, mm-hmm. and what has been happening, I'm sure, for a few years in Libya. Mm-hmm. And I saw the initial CNN report as I was searching to find something to use for class right. on immigration. And, you know, I'm trying to work that into classes and the plights of immigrants, et cetera. And I had honed in on uh, Arab smugglers mm. uh, because that, too, is it just goes against everything that there is about Islam. But it's not a but. It's more so of what what do I do with this as an American Muslim when we're crying out about all of these things out there in the world and discriminations at home over scarves and this, that, and the other. But we can't speak out about this very real, onerous uh, trading of life, taking of life. I was frankly embarrassed that the Muslim community, there was no, um, art, there were no articles. There were no outcries, period. And when asked about, as some said here in Chicago, we were told very recently that they didn't have time for this. Jerusalem was the problem. Yeah. And there's no understanding that Jerusalem will probably continue to be your problem until you speak out about injustice everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, so, th- I mean, I saw a video that uh, it, it haunted me 
for about three or four days. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was of a uh, an African man who had been taken captive, uh-huh. uh, duct taped, and being beaten savagely with the broad end of a sword, uh, and and then stabbed uh, repeatedly in the back, but not enough to uh, to kill him, but just enough to uh, inflict uh, just tremendous pain. And all I could think about was, is that this is just this is just a glimpse into what is taking place there. Uh, this is just one individual, and I can only imagine how many more, uh, how many more men and women who are enduring similar uh, types of treatment, and with no real outcry. Well, there, uh, I've I've heard recently. Well, within the last month, mm-hmm. um, that well, in a few weeks, that uh, the UN has been it has been brought to the attention of the UN. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's so reminiscent of what happened uh, hundreds of years ago yes. with Arab Muslims participating in the slave trade of uh, African Muslims. That I'm, I'm, I'm just beside myself. I'm really, really upset. And the thing with the CNN report was that a video was sent to CNN. But CNN sent out investigative journalists to verify the report. Mm. And so with the verification, you know, it wasn't fake news, so to speak. Um, And, of course, the Libyans, some of them, are embarrassed at being caught at what they're doing, you know, between the smuggling and the slave auctions and the need to feed their families is not an excuse for putting people in slavery and the way things are running there uh, you know because there's no rule of law is just outrageous but it does not bode well for any moral integrity that the muslim community here or abroad could ever have and that's the same case with Mauritania. Here you have a tiny country with, oh, I don't know, 34 million people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and a tenth, I mean, 10%, 20% of them have been in slavery. It's not till 2007 that Mauritania decides to, uh, you know, say, you can't do this anymore. But even in the more, almost a decade later, uh, only one person has been persecuted, and this is a master who killed one of his slaves' children. It's, it's almost unbelievable to think that uh, these types of situations exist, uh, and they, they, they exist to the, um, with, the, with the ignorance, with the level of ignorance about them uh, in a globally connected information-wise society. Uh, in the world, but, but you know, let me let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Zarina Grewal, mm-hmm. in our book "Islam is a Foreign Country," wrote a little bit about this because um, we had Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Zaid Shaker mm-hmm. taking students to Mauritania to study, and this was quite a few. Well, not quite a few years ago, but a few years ago, and some of us raised our voices because. 
of taking black students there was not safe. Mm. So it's not that people didn't know. People chose to say nothing. Well, that's even worse. Huh? I said that is even worse. Yeah. I mean, people were, you know, um, finding a foothold in the Arabic-speaking world. Oh, I can learn about the Quran and have these literature, et cetera. But you're going into a pit. Um, uh, this idea of, you know, you're going to, uh, to, to look for scholarship uh, to yeah. study, but the morality that should be the basis of that or that scholarship should support is, is absent. And that's not, that's not being talked about. That is very true. Um, many of the, um, uh, especially the African-Americans here, uh, not many, but some, have sought to authenticate their Islamic understandings mm-hmm. by sending their children or going themselves overseas to study among the Arab Muslims who have some serious issues with racism. Mm-hmm. They have some other issues with uh, poverty and, you know, it's let me make as much money as I can, which is reasonable, but you don't do it at the expense of moral authority. Right. Absolutely. And moral integrity. Um, I think that with these slave auction blocks, the number of migrants, and one good site to look and see the routes that are traveled is the International Organization for Migration, mm-hmm. which has a number of maps there. And you can see the number of routes and the number of peoples as they can track them coming from West and East Africa through the ports in North Africa to try to get to Europe, which has all but closed all of its doors. So in a way, folks are trapped, Mm -hmm. and they're holding them. I don't know if in the CNN report you saw the the cattle pens that they're holding them in. Yes. Um, Because they have nothing to do. I mean, there's nothing to do. And folk have sold everything the whole family owns to try to get one person out and over. Right. And there is a connection between uh, immigration policies in Europe, uh, in particular, in this particular case, um, and this uh, resurgence or the expansion of uh, of this slave trade, this human trafficking, uh, where people are trying to get passage uh, into Europe as I was reading in, in one uh, in one instance, where there was a busload of of African migrants who were supposed to be uh, smuggled to to get, in, get onto a boat, uh, and then they were detoured and taken off uh, and auctioned off uh, as farm hands and, and 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 other and other things. Part of this is, is knowing that uh, they are not welcome, or that or that they will be denied entry um, into these uh, European access points, or or would you agree with that? Well, I think part of it is, but it's also, we just deported a plane load of Somalis. Um, The plane, the pilots, needed to rest, so they were trying to land in Senegal, which could not accommodate them. So the, the detainee, I mean, you know, the people, the detainees are left on the plane, 
the pilots are trying to sleep on the plane, and they're still trying to get into Somalia, and they might wind up back here to be deported again. So at some point, there's going to be some shenanigans. Smugglers will take them and say, I'll get you to Somalia, which is on the other side of the continent of Africa. <laughs> you know, I mean, the the expanse of this, the need for labor that you don't have to pay, whose women you can rape, uh, is, is enormous. So... Um, as it was said in 2006 by the former uh, um, High Commissioner, uh, that poverty was was the major was the major threat towards um, to- towards humanity. Uh, is that still at the root? Oh, absolutely! Because you have a lot of people who, in all of the upheavals, have lost everything, mm-hmm. and they're used to having something. Right. And one of the some things they're used to having are servants mm. that they don't have to pay or, you know, and then they can barely clothe them out of the back of markets. You know, people are trying to survive and the upheavals continue. You mentioned about the, uh, the, re- the reactions uh, to President Trump's you know, announcing that Jerusalem being yeah. the, the capital, you know, of Israel. Uh, and there was a there was a rally. As a matter of fact, I attended the rally, um, which was, you know, in opposition to that. Do you see a point where we will begin to have these rallies which coordinate, which represent these, these collective concerns <laughs> from Jerusalem to Libya and Mauritania? Um, do you see that happening? Uh, I think it would take a great deal of coordination. The American Muslim community is um, still ethnically divided, which is why it can't have real political influence. And uh, rather than there be, you know, a few or maybe almost 100 people protesting Jerusalem, there should have been thousands. But it can't make the alliances it needs, and it can't do anything of any consequence as long as it remains ethnically divided and only, you know, one the ethnic group pays attention to what concerns it as opposed to paying attention to what should concern all Muslims, regardless of ethnicity. You know, I'm concerned about what's happening to Palestinians in uh, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned what's happening to Muslims and others of the Rohingya. Right. And I'm also very concerned about what's happening, you know, in Mauritania and with the slave auction blocks. You can't limit, you know, your concern by your ethnicity. Right. Right. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, I mean, you just for, you, you forgive just, my voice. No, I'm trying my best to get away from my head goal. Oh well, may, may Allah uh, give you uh, complete restoration. May give you shifa, and uh, and uh, you're not feeling. I mean, your throat is oh, okay, no, right? I feel fine. Okay, all right. As long as you feel okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, um, and I also want to say, yes. because today is the day that they very buried a very good acquaintance of mine, Dr. Bombadi Shakur, 
may Allah bless her soul, and may we live up to all of the many, many uh, initiatives she began. Amen. Inshallah, with God's permission. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Aldine. We appreciate you taking the time uh, to to share some insight on this issue. And, uh, well, before we let you go, do you have anything that you would like for... Uh, anything in closing that you would like for the Radio Islam uh, listenership, for the Radio Islam, Radio Islam families to think about with regard to this? I think that perhaps, because I consider myself a part of that family, oh, yes. is that we think about looking widely and looking at the the types of injustices that are going on. I think we'll be able to trace them in some very meaningful ways to some core kinds of um, missteps. Okay. And that we, we see what our part is in those missteps and what, you know, so that we can be clear on how we're contributing to the chaos. And then we're, we're clear on what the, the contributions of others are. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, get, get, get Rest that voice. Uh, get you some tea. <laughs> All right. Salaam All, right. All right, Radio Islam family, we, we definitely appreciate, uh, as Dr. Aldine mentioned, she is a part of the Radio Islam family, and we appreciate her taking time to share some perspective, give some insights uh, on this issue uh, with what I feel are tremendously, uh, which is a tremendously valuable um, urging which is for us to see beyond our own initial concerns uh, and to be able to look at how our concerns interconnect. Uh, and in doing that, uh, we, build, uh, we build more power, we build influence, and we realize that uh, and in taking on one another's concerns, um, that our concerns, our needs are met. So that's extremely, extremely important. So we thank her again for that. Um, We're going to take a short break. Before we do so, I just want to let you know, when we come back, we're going to be talking with um, members of the Abolition Institute. Matter of fact, the co-founder of the Abolition Institute, Bakri Tanjia, and um, a board member of the Abolition Institute, excuse me, Minister Linda Holiday lawrence Uh, And there is an initiative, uh, some action that is coming forth from that group uh, with regard to the open-air slave markets in Libya, uh, and they're going to talk about some of the work that they're doing uh, with regard to that. So we'll check in with them when we get back. You're listening to Radio Islam. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger so um, we don't have those energy star appliances so that old window leaks how much energy and money could the new ones really save maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later and you just never know what people will need in the future my name is sarah and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. 
This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al We have been talking about what well, we began talking about the uh, International Human Rights Day. Uh, and moving on, we're going to be joined uh, in just a moment by the co-founder of the Abolition Institute, Bakari Tanja, as well as a board member of the Abolition Institute, Minister Linda Holiday-Lawrence. And we we're going to talk with them uh, about the open air slave markets in Libya, uh, the work that they're doing with uh, Mauritania. Uh, full disclosure, I am a board member, um, but I'm going to take a back seat here and um, allow these distinguished individuals to come on and share uh, some of these uh, activities and some of the uh, just to give us, uh, as always, a bit more context about what we can do uh, to, uh, to raise our voices up and make sure that we're part of the uh, solution. So uh, with that, uh, Bakri? Uh, yes, hi, brother. As-salamu alaykum. Minister, Lor- Minister Linda? Alaykum salam. Greetings, Tariq. I'm here as well. <laughs> okay, good, good. Thank you both uh, for taking the time. Um, uh, to, to, to join us and to talk about this. Uh, many people, as I, I was mentioning, mentioning with our uh, past guest in the last segment, uh, Dr. Aldine, uh, are not aware or have just become aware of this, this scourge of slavery, uh, open-air slave um, trading in Libya. They have just become aware of it with the reporting that's been done on CNN. Uh, but as uh, the, the history of the Abolition Institute is that it's been focusing, focusing on ending slavery, uh, beginning with Martania, but would you go ahead and uh, whichever one of, you, one of you would like to begin first to tell us uh, what your thoughts are on this quote-unquote new development within Libya and how that connects to Martania? 
uh, you know, thank you very much, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brother Tariq. Uh, this is a very important uh, topic, and uh, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and uh, share uh, all views and information with, uh, you know, the audience. Uh, you know, this what is uh, happening in, uh, in Libya uh, falls into, the, the, you know, the mission of Abolition Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, because its mission is to fight against sla- for the eradication of slavery and to fight against human trafficking and pro- to promote uh, you know human rights and human dignity so uh what uh, cnn uh, video exposed is exactly slavery as it used to, to exist in the past with uh, you know open uh, markets so mm-hmm. since that is part of, of our mission, even though for now we have been focusing on slavery, anywhere, uh, you know, there is an issue of slavery, it is part of uh, our mission, we should combat it. You know, that's why we decided to, uh, you know, uh, publish, you know, a statement, you know, denouncing the situation. Yes. Minister Lynn? Um, and also, Tony, in in concert with what Tanya explained as far as our mission as Abolition Institute is concerned, another angle to look at is that uh, post-Qaddafi and um, his leadership, his reign, if you will, in Libya, uh, leadership in Libya has pretty much gone to the birds. It's, it's out of control. There is no designated fully... Uh, capable leadership and position of power at this time. And with the onslaught of individuals who were seeking refuge in Libya from other countries of uh, strife and oppression, um, the implosion has turned into this, what we now see is this slave auctioning in the streets, the uh, brutality and the uh, separation of families and um, division of individuals from their loved ones uh, rampant across Libya. Um, what we struggle to do is to try and figure out a way to empower our um, U.S. government uh, individuals to identify how we're going to bring about some sort of control and then some sort of response to abolish this behavior. And it's going to take a concerted effort um, in concert with the U.N. um, in order for us to effectively work out a way to get this resolved, as well as the uh, African Union. Right. Right. Um, And I think Tanya can speak to that even more so. But um, what you're really looking at at the base root of it is this complete uh, dis this dissolving of the control that Gaddafi had on the country of Libya um, now that it's up in the air. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, it, I'll go right here. It, go right it, here. It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Sister Linda, you are uh, right. Uh, Libya is uh, in a failing country currently. They have two go- two separate governments, and on top of that, uh, you have different uh, you know factions fight, you know fighting uh, each other. So there is a uh, you know there is no law and, and, and order 
in Libya, you know, currently. Uh, this is a, huma- a humanitarian crisis. We must yeah. deal with it, you know, urgently. Mm-hmm. But we have to look into the root causes of the problem. So the reason why we have this, this situation in, uh, in Libya is because of the international intervention to, uh, you know, uh, on, on the, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the idea of protecting uh, people in, in Benghazi uh, who were in danger. Right. So currently, you have people who are in danger, and the international community is not doing nothing, and they know about it. And uh, uh, really, that is really uh, very, it, it, it's a concern, you know, to, to us. Uh, here in New York, for instance, uh, you know, we organized a demonstration on November 28, uh, front of a, a Libyan uh, mission. And as a result of that, we made a request to meet with uh, the chargé d'affaires of the mission. Mm -hmm. On uh, December 4th, we had a meeting with him. Uh, We discussed, they recognized the situation, but at the same time, uh, they uh, really uh, also described, uh, you know, the lawlessness, you know, in the country. Uh, So, uh, you know, the attorney general of the country has, uh, you know, launched an investigation uh, but we encourage them to be open to, uh, you know, international or regional, you know, assistance in order to have the capacity to investigate because currently there are so many people, even within, uh, you know, the diaspora here, uh, we have people who are directly, you know, affected. There was a woman who attended, uh, you know, the rally. Uh, her son is in captivity in, in Libya currently. Uh, you know, she was crying, she was begging for help. It was very, very moving. Let me ask this. Who are the main uh, actors involved? Who are the main uh, organizations or individuals involved, uh, government entities that are needed to bring about, uh, to put some pressure on to to bring about a change? Yeah, to, you know, to bring about change, uh, uh, you know, we have, you know, the international community, we have, uh, you know, African uh, Union, uh, European Union and uh, the U.S. They should be part of it because, uh, you know, the reason why we have this situation in, uh, in, in Libya, even in the north of, uh, uh, of Mali, is because of, you know, the collapse of the Libyan uh, government with, you know, the killing of uh, a, 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 a Gaddafi. Uh, so I think, you know, currently, the, you know, civil society has to take, you know, responsibility because, uh, you know, our leaders have, you know, failed us, you know, you know, completely. You know, normally those individuals who are exposing their lives, putting their lives on the line, should not have been even in Libya, at, you know, at the first place, it is because of you know, you know, corruption, uh, civil war, uh, 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 you know, it's, it, you know, it's because of that. Uh, you know, you have young people who are unemployed, uh, without hope. Uh, you know, they cannot sit and wait until they die. They will be ready. Uh, you know, no risk when you are under such conditions. No, no risk is, is is high, right? So international mobilization and uh, civil society has to uh, speak 
has to be engaged. And also, Tariq, just so you understand how uh, tremendously disparaging the condition is in Libya, mm-hmm. um, individuals who end up becoming victims of this auction process can actually um, end up being auctioned more than once, more than twice. Um, some have uh, been recorded in the news clip of being sold over and over again four times. And when an individual is able to somehow escape, the challenge upon escape is to not be uh, detained by certain individuals in actual positions of authority because they will tend to put that person back in a position of vulnerability to be captured and re-auctioned. And in other cases, the uh, individuals that they are ending up being uh, sold to are practicing the kind of gross human violence on them that mirrors what we know of in the uh, past pre-civil rights shadow slavery era in America and what is becoming knowledgeable to our end of the world, what is the sub-Saharan, trans-Saharan slavery trade in Africa. You know, it's interesting that you uh, mentioned, mentioned that because I was, um, I was uh, when I was speaking with uh, Dr. Aldine in the previous segment, uh, I let her, and I'm not going, I'm not going to go into the description of, of what I saw, but the video, the, the mistreatment, uh, the, the barbaric treatment that this uh, African man received, uh, I couldn't do anything but think back to the descriptions that I've read about uh, the the horrors that the slaves, the, the enslaved, uh, endured right here uh, in the United States of America, it was uh, it was it was truly horrifying. Uh, Brother Tanja, were you about to say something? Uh, it, it, uh, yes, it you know it, it is uh, you know you have to have uh, you know hate toward uh, you know those uh, individuals. Uh, you have to look at them as subhuman, because when you consider someone as a human being, there are certain things you cannot do to uh, him or to her, uh, you know. And, uh, you, you know, women facing uh, a rape uh, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the torture, you cannot exploit without, to- you, know, you know, torturing, mm-hmm. you know. The problem is that, uh, you know, this situation in, uh, in, in Libya has set, you know, uh, you know, the light on the issue of slavery. Uh, you know, as, uh, you know, Selinda, you know, mentioned, trans, uh, uh, you know, trans-Saharian, uh, you know, slavery uh, never ended, never right. ended. And this is what, you know, African immigrants have been facing in, uh, in the Maghreb and uh, in the Arab world, uh, you know, now with, uh, you know, the CNN... Uh, uh, you know, documentary, uh, since, the, you know, uh, they have a wide, you know, audience, it's internationally known, it has exposed, you know, the situation. But it is not new, and if I draw a, a parallel with Mauritania, for me, as a Mauritanian, I was even telling to, uh, you know, members of the community here, you know, for us, 
you know, this is not this is not new. Uh, slavery is uh, is a reality. It can take any any form of mistreatment. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't consider someone as a human being, you can do anything to him or to her. Absolutely. Do you think, um, both of you, do you think that this is also going to lead us to the root causes of oppression or the contributing factors? And by that, I mean, uh, we're looking, we, we, can re- we can sort of reference back to the um, uh, regime change, as we are so fond of uh, terming uh, toppling governments um, of um, Colonel Gaddafi. But do we look, are we going to see a point where we have conversations about uh, the intentionally depressed economies, uh, destabilization of governments, um, uh, and, and, and our policy, our foreign policies of European nations uh, and the United States uh, in particular, and how these are contributing to the, uh, to the spread of, of, of this type of, uh, of horror. Uh, you know, yeah, that's a that's good it. question, uh, Tariq. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Tanya. That's a good question, Tariq, because what you're asking actually speaks to what could have been the outcome in Haiti when uh, France and United States got together to kidnap the former president of Haiti, right. uh, Erefis, um before uh, they... Um, went through their transition. Um, unfortunately, the Western world has um, created its way of throwing the rock and hiding the hand and then coming back later and perpetrating as if it is trying to offer stability to a particular region that was stable before the Western world got involved. Right. Um, what we can probably expect is that the situation will play out in the wider uh, global audience in a dynamic that highlights this slave auctioning practice, this uh, horrific human uh, crime against humanity, if you will, in a public way that purports to make it look like the individuals are totally responsible for their own demise. But... What we won't see is how the Western world undercurrent had a role in it by how it destabilized the financial, the governmental structures that Gaddafi had so successfully retained before he was murdered. Okay. Brother Tanja, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know uh, she she made uh, you know a valid uh, a valid point. Uh, you know the reason why they they went to, to to Libya, it was not for you know the best interest for Libyan themselves. Uh, you know they had uh, their own you know uh, idea in the back uh, of their mind. You know otherwise, uh, you know the international they 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 uh, you know would have uh, made every single effort. To stabilize the country, uh, you know, uh, we can draw the parallel with, uh, you know, with Congo. Uh, Congo, because of minerals, yeah. uh, you know, no uh, Western country want to see this uh, uh, this country with a functioning, 
central government uh, because, uh, you know, with the current situation, uh, you know, uh, international corporations uh, can go and access to the minerals, you know, they need. Hmm. So it is not new. Yes. And that is also why you saw the the uh, horrific, horrific years of war in North and South Sudan until South Sudanese individuals were able to achieve their own independence. And then now you see the just tragic breakdown of the independence of South Sudan with the potentiality of losing their own uh, country if they are not able to get this problem resolved between the two leaders. It is not just um, the cut black and white story of leaders, um, you know, only knowing how to fight so they get into a position of power and then fight amongst themselves. There's always an undercurrent back story that leads to a Western involvement. And when you think about Sudan and you think about how China and America were both responsible for trying to usurp the oil out of Sudan, that oil was located in the southern region. But it was the northern Arab leadership in South Sudan or in North Sudan that uh, was controlling how the money that the government was receiving from China was being dispersed. And it was the South Sudanese who stood up and challenged and continually challenged what was happening in their regions until this situation could explode where it did. There's always an undercurrent of a Western engagement that's happening behind the scenes. You know, that's really interesting. Uh, Once again, I led off, we opened up the show acknowledging that yesterday was Human Rights Day, uh, this being its 69th year, and that a big part of human rights is self-determination as as an individual, but also uh, for uh, for countries, for, for nations. And that has not been afforded to many African nati- nations, um, uh, or I should say even nations of, of, of color, uh, where their, their realities continue to be um, uh, inflected um, by, by outside, you know, by out, outsor- outside uh, actors. And uh, that in itself is troubling, and I know uh, we don't have enough time to really to delve into that. But I think until that is addressed, until there's something that is done uh, that takes that takes um, you know the World Bank and an international monetary fund uh, and does not allow them to be used as kind of uh, as 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 a destabilizing force in a lot of cases, then we're going to continue to see this type of uh, activity. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, with that, I uh, appreciate both of you taking the time. Uh, once again, I want to say really quickly that one of the things about the Abolition Institute that I think is um, that is really uh, inspiring is that it is not only just about the the rally, but it is also about a concerted effort in establishing uh, relationships with uh, legislations. It's about uh, its its engagement um, uh, and its efforts to uh, impact policy. 
which is really important. Did either one of you want to go ahead and, and speak to that um, briefly before we uh, close out? Uh, Sister Linda, yeah, you know, I uh, give yeah. you the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the uh, most profound ways that the Abolition Institute has been successful in um, touching on policy is that our lobbying partners um, in Washington, D.C., uh, successfully assisted us in negotiating with the U.S. Foreign Appropriations Committee to secure um, nearly $5 million. It was about $1.5 one year and then an additional $2 million. Um, so we had about $3.5 million that has been earmarked, a, a great amount of which goes to Mauritania, but it also covers a few other of the uh, Western Sahara countries in Africa where this kind of slavery has been going on. So that funding is actually earmarked to help survivors with education, with housing, with uh, re-acculturation, if you will, so that they may become um, productive participants in society after they have successfully been rescued and in some cases even have been successful in um, filing cases in the slavery courts in Mauritania to hold the slaveholders accountable. Now, we only won so far one case with the brilliant mind of a young former uh, hair team himself, um, but the precedent was made by his winning, and I celebrate Tanya's description of him as being the third good marshal of Mauritania by winning that case and getting uh, slaveholders held accountable with not just um, penalties of, of time, but also required to pay restitution to the individuals with whom they had enslaved. So those are great accomplishments. And our lobbying arm in D.C. was able to secure, through the Foreign Appropriations Committee, funding to support survivors. So part of that work that we try to do at Abolition Institute is not just make noise Mm -hmm. and awaken people to what's going on, but to actually get our hands dirty with colleagues who are doing the work on the ground. Our partnership with the... Sister Linda, um, Sister Linda I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, we're almost out of time, but uh, we just had a question. Oh, no. We just had a question to come in. And if you can give a one-minute answer to this, um, that would be just wonderful. I don't want to leave without ans- asking this oh, question. Sure, sure, sure. All right, so the question is, can we expect that, uh, that other war-torn areas in Africa and Middle East, all the places with refugees or people fleeing, are also experiencing this kind of human trafficking. Uh, it, I think it it, it it depends how you know the international community uh, will react to this situation. Mm-hmm. If uh, you know they uh, deal with this situation in an appropriate manner and people know that they will be held accountable for you know their actions, mm-hmm. and uh, also to put in place some you know type of you know uh, a preventive. Uh, mechanism to to address this. This is the first time, so the international community should put that on uh, its agenda in addressing, you know, crisis situations. Okay. Well, thank you. uh, Thank you both so much. Uh, I wish we had more time. 
Uh, and hopefully we'll have you back again uh, to talk about the, 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 the continued work that you're doing uh, to bring human dignity uh, to those who are deprived of it. So, uh, uh, but Tari, can I make a selfless plug? You, you'd better. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay. This Sunday, September 17, 2.30 to 4.30 at Trinity United Church of Christ, we will be making a presentation on our tour to Mauritania when we did a fact-finding mission on slavery. That presentation will occur at Trinity, 2.30 to 4.30 Sunday, September 17. Anyone and everyone is welcome to come. That's awesome. Is that information, is that available online anywhere? or? Um, there is a Facebook announcement about it. I don't know. I think it's a public announcement. Um the Trinity website should have information up on its events tab for its Facebook page as well. Um, okay, I'm, I'm trying I'm, to think where else it might be. It's quite all right. We we, we have a we have a minute to close out, so I'm going to have to say thank right. you both so much, uh, and we'll try to share that information on our website, um, on our Facebook page. Awesome. All right, so folks, Radio Psalm family, we've come to the close of another show. Uh, our engineer on duty at WCEV is Ramon. Thank you very much. Our engineer, uh, assistant producer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alamine. And our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, the thoughts, uh, the words and views expressed by the host and our guests uh, are theirs and not to be attributed to Sound Vision. We once again thank Dr. Al Dean. We thank uh, Bakari Tanja and Minister Linda Holiday Lawrence for joining us this evening. And we thank you for joining us. And we look forward to talking with you tomorrow at the same time where we'll be offering a reflection on the uh, great works of Dr. Bambadi Shakur. I leave you all as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.